We turn to read together again this morning in our study of the book of Judges in chapter 7. We've come down to these latter verses of the chapter. And we'll read today only verses 19 through 23. Judges 7, 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshita and Zerarath and to the border of Abel-Meholah unto Tabah. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. Turn with me again, if you will, please, in your hymnal and turn to number 1140-1140. Stand with me and sing with me out. If you will, eleven forty. Lo, he cometh, countless trumpets. Wake to life the slumbering dead. Mid ten thousand saints and angels see their great exalted head. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, Son of God. Full of joyful expectation, saints behold the judge appears. Truth and justice go before him. Now the joyful sentence here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, 
judge divine. Come ye blessed of my Father, enter into life and joy. Banish all your fears and sorrows, endless praise be your employ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, welcome, welcome to the skies. Thank you. Be seated. Trumpets, torches, and pitchers, or if you prefer, victory at last. We've arrived this morning at last at these verses in our text, which record for us the astonishing details of Israel's, or should I say, God's victory over the Midianite armies under the leadership of Gideon, this great reformer. We finished on last week by the consideration and valuable consideration it is of the timing of this campaign. Verse 19, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the under the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And it was on in that message on that week that I dealt with the importance and significance of timing. Timing in the life of the believer marching in the dark they arrived at this time now this morning as we turn here we find that the timing is right the armies of God this meager 300 band the armies of God are set in their places surrounding the Midianite camp. Their hands are filled not with the weapons of carnal warfare, but with the instruments of God's appointment, each having a trumpet, a torch, and a pottery pitcher. And now, now with all this assemblage in place, the instructions are unambiguously simple. Look at verse 17. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. <laughs> 
Never have there been any marching orders with greater simplicity than this. Your task is simply this. Watch me and do what I do. <laughs> this is the God-given mandate for this assembly of 300 in the service of God. This is the God-given mandate for every believer. And the power, <coughs> the power of its demands cannot be avoided. I had originally penned in my notes the word pain. I said that this is the God-given mandate for every believer and the pain of its demands cannot be avoided. Oh, listen if you can. Listen if you can to this oft-repeated principle in the life of that blessed apostle when in writing to the Philippian believers in chapter 3 and verse 13, he said this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you nevertheless. Whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensemble. I said it was the oft-repeated teaching of the Scriptures. Apostle writing in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which you received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did eat any man's bread for naught, but roll with labor and travail night and day, that ye might not be chargeable, that, that, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because ye have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. Wow. Even Peter. Peter gave an admonition to those elders 
among the saints. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. And this was his admonition. And the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Nevertheless and never as neither being as Lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. He admonishes these elders. He could take the very words, he could have quoted the very words that were spoken in Judges chapter 7. Look on me and do as I do. It's exactly what he was saying. Oh, we know that even Paul, that inspired apostle, one who had been carried up into the third heaven and seen things that he called not able to be spoken, unspeakable to mortal man, even he knew he was not sufficient for these things. You hear his testimony. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, that was in me. I know, he said, I know it's not me. I know it's not me. I know I'm not worthy. I know it's not from me. But I want to be. I have been an example to you by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 3 spoke again in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7 whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, he knew. He knew. Oh, he knew. He knew he wasn't fit. But he set himself purposed to be an example to the flock. Oh, yes. Such a state such a condition of heart and life can hardly be reached by any mortal man while residing in this flesh. But nevertheless, we must strive. We must seek to achieve a faith that's displayed in Gideon to be able to call out others and say to them, Watch me and do as I do. If there were no other reason, and I deny that, I'll deny that. I'll take on any man that would like to take me who says there's absolutely no reason why men ought not be in double marriage in the ministry if there were no other reason. This is reason enough. Gideon said, look on me and do what I do. A man that fills the place of the ministry ought to be a man that can hold his head up erect 
by the grace of God, by the grace of God, nothing in himself, but by the grace of God, he ought to be able to call out to followers and say, watch me, watch me, do what I do. There was no other reason that'd be reason enough. Life ought to be impeccable, without guilt, without charge, pure and holy as it can be in this flesh. So now the stage is set. The people of God are in their places, and Gideon sets in motion. God's plan. They blew their trumpets following Gideon's lead and the screaming, the screaming of those metallic messengers from God no doubt echoed throughout every side of this valley from all directions with an alarming terror of acoustical shock. And then, the crash of 300 breaking pitchers is added to this wild orchestra that further shattered the silent stillness of this tranquil night. And suddenly, 300 flaming torches pierced the night's darkness from all directions like so many imps out of hell dancing a dance of death march. All around them, the skies seemed suddenly to be on fire, while just as suddenly an unceasing cry rises up like a thousand heralds from God Almighty, saying, The sword of the Lord and Gideon! And the night air was filled with the echoes of it all throughout this valley. Oh, if I had the tongue of a Shakespeare or the command of the king's English like an R.G. Lee, I might better be able to set this scene before your mind today. But in the limitations of my own capacities, I can do no better than to tell you that the scene which ensued here on this night was a scene of mass panic. It was a scene of total and devastating confusion. It was a scene of mob insanity and wild, frenzied hysteria. The divine description of the whole sickening affair is summed up in the brief statement of verse 22. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow even throughout all the hosts. And the host fled in every direction. Startled from their sleep, half crazed with fear, Every man of God's enemies went to hacking and slashing every man to every man he met with until the ones that were left alive managed somehow to hack their way out, as it were, into the open and take flight and run for their lives into the darkness of an uncertain chaos. Oh, truly, 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 
truly now might Gideon testify what was said in verse 14. The Lord hath delivered into your hands the Midianite host. Hallelujah. Truly it's so now. Someone well said <laughs> the Midianites were shouted out of their lives just like the walls of Jericho were shouted out of existence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, notice some of the Hebrew wording used to describe it in verse 21. It said down all the host ran and cried and fled. <laughs> I like studying these Hebrew words and getting their actual meaning and then try to put them back together in their actual meaning. The word translated ran in your King James Bible literally means to be broken down. And the word translated cried means to split the ears. And the word fled means to vanish away. So that when we put it all back together, we could say of this crowd that they vanished with ear-splitting screams, having broken down in utter chaos. <laughs> oh, how wisely blessed Dr. Gill says this. This thing was of God. How very powerful Dr. Gill can say so much in a few words. This thing was of God. He said, it was he who took away all their reason and judgment from them and infatuated their minds and filled them with such strong apprehensions of things. It was he who threw into their minds such terror and amazement and directed them to point their swords to one another. One commentator has wisely noted that there's little doubt, but that it was their own sense of guilt that contributed to this crazed frenzy. They knew well in their hearts the vile wickedness of their own evil purposes here in this land. Year after year they've come. Year after year they've pilfered and sacked God's people. Year after year they know they've come. Their consciences must know that they're coming and violating this nation of innocent people. One commentator said that pressed on their conscience. That guilt was resident in their hearts when those, when all of a sudden those lanterns were broken and all of a sudden those trumpets blared and all of a sudden those torches glared. All the guilt was in them. When they broke into this frenzy. Oh yes. Can I say to you that the sinner may sear his darkened conscience. He may sear his darkened conscience, embolden his black heart, 
and put on his brazen face of evil. He may do that, but somewhere in the recesses of that fallen mind, there is this realization that God still reigns somewhere. Oh, yes. And someday, someday, they know someday when their cup of iniquity is full, someday, then it will be so that was spoken by the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73, verse 6. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Listen to the words of the psalmist now and remember this scene. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return, therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. But look at verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed. What terror did that not exactly what happened in chapter 7 of the book of Judges? In a moment, in an instant. God consumed them with tears. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. In the book of Job, in chapter 18, Job in chapter 18, verse 5, listen to these words. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him. Steps of his strength shall be straightened and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he's cast into a net by his own feet and he walketh upon a snare. The gin, the gin shall take him by the heel and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground and a trap 
for him in the way terrors shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. That's exactly what happened this night in the life of Israel. Oh, can I say this to you? Let no fool boast that he has banished God from his universe. Payday, Dr. Lee said, someday is written in the constitution of God's universe. No infidel can laugh it out. No atheist can mock it out. No unbeliever can scoff it out. Payday, Sunday is written in the constitution of God's universe. Payday will fall with frightful terrors and their own consciences testify to it. Oh, don't miss this listing of names in verse 22. I'll, I'll not take the time to trace all the geography that's in this text in verse 22. But I'll just suffice it to say this, that these were places that they had wrongfully taken and made to be the haunts of their evil doings for a long time. And now, now, the places of their shelter, the places of their shame, have become the places of their slaughter. You see, the sinner thinks, that they're safe in their place. But one day, God will show up. And their place will be seen to be His place. And they will perish in the place of their own shame. Oh, sinner, beware when God goes home with you. I'm often coming across phrases that I suggest to you would be wonderful sermon titles. I wish I could take the time out of this study and just preach a sermon. Oh, sinner. When God goes home with you. When God goes home with you. He will one day. He'll show himself to be God. These places described were places they had taken. Wrongfully held. And now God pursues them to their place. And destroys them. Blessed Rogers. Dear old Richard Rogers. In the 1500's. Has set out an apt warning for us. From this record. When he said these words. 
this kind of astonishing, <laughs> this kind of astonishing the enemies by Gideon, who was directed by God therein, is worthy to be noted of us, to teach us what kind of terrors and vexings of a rebellious people the Lord hath in readiness to fear them. Yea, and that when men think themselves best fenced against them out of fear of them and further off from falling into them, just then, just then, God will take them. Zimri and Cosby were slain suddenly and fearfully. Korah and his company were swallowed up of the earth when no likelihood could, likelihood could be seen thereof till it came. The men of Ziglag, wallowing like beasts on the ground, drunken, were slain by David when they looked not for it. Abimelech, by a piece of a millstone, received his deadly wound and Absalom hanged by the hair of his head on an oak tree. Thus I might go on infinitely, said Rogers. God hath many ways to scourge his enemies. He hath as many ways as he hath to deliver and comfort his own people. Scripture said, there is no peace to the ungodly, saith God. Oh, then how, how fearful is it to be a wicked man? For if God's anger be kindled but a little, how happy are they that fear him? For if he have a controversy with men and it be against them, oh, what terrors are on every while likely to fall on them till they be confounded. View this scene today. View this scene today. Take it to your heart. God will come in judgment. They're startled out of their sleep. Frightened out of their very lives. As Matthew Henry said, shouted out of their lives. Just like the walls of Jericho were shouted out of existence. God is at no loss for the means to execute his wrath, nor is he under any obligation to send advance heralds to notify you of its approach. Oh, I must say that again. God is at no loss for the means to execute his wrath, nor is he under any obligation to send advance heralds to, approach, to announce its approach. But to the saints, to the saints, may I say, be always careful to be in full possession of your hearts. Hear me now. Be always careful to be in full possession of your hearts. Rest in the Lord and be not alarmed by the wiles of the devil. 
He always is watching and ready. Oh, <laughs> yes, march on in the dark. But you be in possession of your heart so as not to be frighted. Matthew Henry said it is in our interest to preserve such a command of our own spirits as never to be afraid with any amazement. You see, even in the lives of saints, God brings providences that you weren't expecting. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know it was going to happen. Matthew Henry says, always be in command of your own heart. Have your heart fixed on the Lord so as not to be frightened or startled. It is in our interest to preserve such a command of our own spirits as never to be frightened with any amazement for we cannot conceive, we cannot conceive what mischiefs we might plunge ourselves into by sudden fright. So then Midian is routed. Those who survived the wholesale slaughter in the valley of their encampment have fled away hoping to escape and attain their safety again. But even this will not be allowed them. Verse 23, the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. Verse 24 and 25 tells us the geography of their pursuit. And then the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took waters under Beth Bar and Jordan. They blocked off their escape route. Took two of the princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They slew at the will wine press of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. God raises up now in these verses the rest of his congregation and sets them to work on the business of finishing his cleansing of Israel. Here is the going down after the going down. <laughs> you remember I said to you, we found in verse 10 what I call the going down before the going down. And then over in verse 18 and 19, we saw the going down. And now in verse 24, we see the going down after the going down. <laughs> he said, come down, come down. Verse 24, come down with us. Come down and join us. We'll take them all. So the coming down, these are sent in verse 24 to cut them off. Take the waters. Escape will not be possible. Oh, how can I read this record to you this morning? And fail of warning you this morning. Fail of warning every sinner in the sound of my voice. How can I read these words 
and not tell you what the scripture teaches us clearly in one verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That without remedy suddenly be destroyed. Job said in chapter 11 and verse 20, but the eyes of the wicked shall fail and they shall not escape. And their hope shall be as the giving up of a ghost. Then said Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 11, therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Oh, what solemn words are these? There's no escape when this God moves in judgment. No escape. Cut them off. Gideon, send the men. Send the men down there. Send the men down and cut them off. Don't let them get out. Prophet Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 46. In verse 5, prophet Jeremiah prophesied, Wherefore shall, wherefore have I seen them dismayed and turned away back? Their mighty ones are beaten down and are fled apace and look not back. For fear was round about, saith the Lord. Let not the swift flee away, nor the mighty man escape. They shall stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. He said, they're not going to get away. They're not going to get away. Oh, later on in his prophecy, chapter 48, verse 7, For because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures, thou shalt also be taken. And Shemah shall go forth into captivity with his priests and his princes together, and the spoilers shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape. The valley also shall perish. The plain shall be destroyed as the Lord has spoken. Oh, yes. In case some would say, well, that's all prophecy about nations in the Old Testament. Well, I'm here to tell you it's the principle of God's judgment throughout all the ages, ages past and ages to come. And the age of the present, it's all the same. First Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write to you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Shall not escape. So then God's enemies are not able to escape, but rather than that, they are made into monuments to the glory of His sovereign justice. Notice, <laughs> they're named after them. Verse 24 Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together 
took the waters. Verse 25, they took two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And apparently because of the events that took place there and because of the unfolding of the history there, that place came to be called the Rock of Oreb and the winepress of Zeb. God made them monuments to his glory. Name the place. Name the place where I ran them down. Oreb means raven. Zeb means wolf. But the raven could not fly high enough nor the wolf flee fast enough. But that God's judgment ensnared them both in the jaws of perfect justice and made of them monuments to the glory of his perfect justice. And he will do. He will do for every sinner. In his time and in his sovereign will, in his timing, he'll run him down. Execute justice and make him a memorial to his glory. <laughs> well, their heads were cut off and given to Gideon. Don't let that bother you. That was a very common practice in those days. If you want to see other places, First Samuel seventeen fifty four. Second Samuel chapter 4 verse 2 verse 8 took their heads. I remember Dr. Lee's description of Jezebel being cast down. He said splattered the brains that conceived evil against the Lord. Suppose the same may be said here. God cut off the heads that thought such vile things against his people. So we've seen the scene today. Just the scene. Many are the lessons. God willing, next week we'll seek to draw lessons from this scene. Stand with me again, if you will, please. Sing with me number 1142-1142. That awful day will surely come. The appointed hour makes haste when I must stand before the judge and pass the solemn test. Stand with me, please. 1142. That awful day will surely come. The parted hour makes haste when I must stand before my judge and pass the solemn test. Thou lovely chief of all my joys, 
Thou sovereign of my heart, how could I bear to hear thy voice pronounce the sound depart? O wretched state of deep despair, to see my God removed and fix my dreadful station where I must not taste His love. Jesus, I throw my arms around and hang upon thy breast without one gracious smile from thee my spirit cannot rest oh tell me that my wordless name is graven on thy hands. Show me some promise in thy book where my salvation stands.